0: I'm so glad to see each one of you this morning, and my voice is still a little raspy. I apologize for that, but I think by God's grace, I will make it through this service. So, That's just part of the spring season, I think. I'm going to be reading this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you were here for worship last week, uh, we have the uh, resurrection story. Uh, from Luke, and I will be picking up today, actually, where we left off last week. Last week, we had the empty tomb, and the women who couldn't figure out what was going on, and Peter, who wasn't sure what had happened, and, you know, everybody had gone home. And now I'm going to be picking up Luke 24, verse 13 through 35, but as I read, I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And I will just say, that would have been what we know of as the Old Testament, because that's what they knew about them. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I know I'm stating the obvious here. Easter has happened. Christ is risen. We focused on that last week in a great way here, And we celebrated, and I know that many of you left this place to go and enjoy some family time. But now it's this week, and and there isn't the same buzz, and the flowers that so beautifully decorated this place have have been removed from the sanctuary. Easter is in the rearview mirror, it's back to routine. It's back to those particular sets of circumstances that they are kind of the sum and substance of each of our lives. And so you and I have heard, once again, the resurrection story, and, and we believe it. But I think it's hard for us sometimes to know how it's all supposed to fit into our lives on a daily basis. And that's why I am so glad that we have this passage of Scripture. I love this story. It's a wonderful story, it's a delightful story, and it's one that I never tire of hearing. It's the story of Cleopas and his companion, it's the story of people that we don't hear about anywhere else in Scripture. People that we know nothing about apart from this one incident. They don't seem to have been part of Jesus' closest circle of friends. And so I suspect that they were people who were sort of on the periphery. They were not part of the in crowd, if you will. Maybe it seeming a bit out on the edge, or, or ones who didn't feel quite so special, or always in the know about everything. We all know people who always seem to be in the know about everything. but that, That's not this pair. You know, I think maybe Cleopas and his friend felt like you and I do much of the time. But nonetheless, they were two people who had an amazing experience. They had an amazing encounter. They had this encounter that made all the difference in their lives. And it's been remembered, it's been documented, and it's been read again and again for 2,000 years. Now, actually, I'm rather glad that we know so little about Cleopas and his companion Because I think in a way that makes it easy for each one of us to enter the story and to put ourselves there. If you were here last week, you remember that I invited you, pick a character and enter the story. I love to do that when I come to Scripture and so we have here Cleopas, and, and maybe the other person was Cleopas's very dear friend. Maybe it was his teenage son. Maybe it was his wife. We aren't told. And so that's wonderful. It leaves it all open, and it could have been you, and it could have been me, walking that road back to Emmaus on that Sunday afternoon. So put yourselves in the story. Make it be Cleopas and Susan, Cleopas and Bill, Cleopas and Rebecca, Cleopas and fill in the blank with your name. Put yourself there and enter the story. So, here you are. It's you and Cleopas, just average sort of people headed for home. You're not feeling real great because you're thinking about the crucifixion that happened a couple of days ago. And I can't imagine having to witness any crucifixion, much less of somebody that you knew. So you're not feeling very good. The two of you had heard Jesus preach and teach a few times. And you had great hopes that he might be the one that was going to turn things around for God's people. And now those hopes got dashed on Friday afternoon. And now you're mulling over that resurrection rumor that started flying around earlier today and... And you're kind of wondering what, if anything, could be believed. And and yeah, the tomb was undoubtedly empty. That's pretty certain. But where was the body? Nobody knows and nobody could really explain it. And so with all of that, it's now time to head home and to get back to business as usual because the party's over. And resurrection... Who knows? You're just not sure if you quite believe it. And and even if it did happen, what possible difference is that going to make to you personally? So here you are, you and Cleopas, headed for home. And then this stranger comes up and joins you. This stranger who wants to strike up a conversation now, I don't know about you all, but I know about me, and I know that when I'm down in the dumps, the last person that I usually want to see is somebody new and somebody that I have to be polite to and somebody that I have to extend myself to. No, when, when I'm down in the dumps, I much prefer to just you know be, leave me alone to wallow in my own self-pity Go away, let me just enjoy my misery all by myself. But here's the stranger. And you and Cleopas are polite, and and you let this guy into the conversation, and you begin to listen kind of half-heartedly at first, but then you begin to really listen. You know, you've gotten past that polite, uh uh-huh, uh-huh stage, you know, with your brain elsewhere. And now you begin to treat him like a real person who might have something worthwhile to say. And amazingly, he does. He even has some spiritual insights that you've never heard before. And he gets you thinking about things that you have always believed but now you're starting to think about them in new ways. So it's kind of interesting. But then you get to Emmaus. And you're ready to turn off the main road and go down the side street that goes towards your house. But he is continuing on, you suppose, to the next town. And you're tired. You're physically and emotionally And spiritually tired because it's been a difficult few days. And there's part of you that just wants to go in the house and grab something quick to eat and put your feet up and channel surf so that you can forget the nightmare of the crucifixion. What you really are wanting and needing is one of those take-me-away Caligons" types of moments. I mean, after all, everybody says that self-care is a good thing, and and who wants or, or, or needs to be bothered with a stranger at such a time? Let him go on and do his own thing. But then you think, you know, he was an interesting conversationalist, there's not a Hampton Inn in the area where he can get a room for the night. And so you start thinking, maybe we ought to invite him in and let him share our supper, put him up for this one night, and then he can go on in the morning. And, and so you say something about that, and he seems a little bit hesitant, but then, Cleopas chimes in, and and between the two of you, you convince him that you you really would enjoy having more of his company, so he says, okay, I'll stay. So you go in and you throw together a meal, and when you sit down, he offers to give thanks for the food. And then the most amazing thing happens. You realize it is Jesus And the very moment that really dawns on you is the same moment that he disappears, but you don't have any doubt who it was. And you're never really quite the same after that moment because you are able to say, I have seen the Lord. And every so often for the rest of your life, The thought goes through your mind. What if we hadn't talked to him on the road? What if we hadn't invited him in? What if we had just said, Well, it was nice chatting with you. Best of luck. And then waved goodbye. What would have happened to Cleopas and me then? Think what we would have missed out on. Well, you know, that story as it is written took place 2,000 years ago. And now scholars aren't even sure where the literal village of Emmaus was, it has been lost to time. And Jesus, who really did come back to life and really did have this conversation with these two folks, has ascended into heaven, and we get to talk about that in a few weeks. But anyway, yes, Jesus is raised, but he's ascended and gone, and so I'm not looking for him when I take my walks in the park with the dog. And I doubt that you're expecting to bump into him at the grocery. But then I think, maybe we're all wrong about that. Because Jesus himself said that when you show kindness and love to the very least of people, that you have done it for him. And that Christ Himself can be found in the face of a stranger. And so, what I want to suggest to all of us this morning is that every one of us travels the road to Emmaus every day. Because you see, I think the Emmaus road is the road of our daily lives. The humdrum of our routine. And we find ourselves on it after we leave this place Sunday after Sunday. And we're trying to make the things that we hear here at this place fit with the reality of all the stuff of our existence. We are on that road every day of the week. It's our Emmaus road. It's the road of everyday living. And it's the one where life can be difficult and where sometimes we may have moments of even questioning what it is that we believe and, and where it fits into everything. I think sometimes we can be like Cleopas and his friends saying in effect, you know, we want to believe but we just don't quite get it. And sometimes when we're on that Emmaus road, God sends us a stranger. The last thing in the world that we want to be bothered with. Someone we don't know. Maybe someone whose presence makes us uncomfortable. It might be somebody with far too many tattoos and piercings for our liking. Maybe it's somebody who wears some sort of ethnic dress that makes us uncomfortable. Maybe it's somebody who just strikes us as uptight or way too rigid in their thinking. It might be somebody who lives in a place unfamiliar to us. Somebody who we never saw before, and if we're honest with ourselves, really don't care if we never see again. Or maybe, maybe the stranger that comes to us is somebody that we have seen before even many times. We know their name, but they're just not our type. So we kind of you know, give them the brush off and hurry away when we encounter them. Maybe the stranger is that person at work who gets under your skin. So you just kind of make every effort to avoid them. Maybe the stranger is someone who you have known for a while, but you have just sort of written off because they look at life differently from you. You know what I mean. Their politics are way off. Or they have some weird religious ideas. Or maybe they don't believe at all. So why bother to listen to what they have to say? We don't agree, so it's easier to maintain distance and stay strangers. For you all who are in a classroom, maybe the stranger is that kid that just doesn't seem to fit in anywhere. And it's just easier to not interact. But my friends, on the road to Emmaus and on the road to wherever it is that any of us are going in life, the blessing comes to the one who invites in the stranger. When we say, come and spend time with me and come and eat with me and come and be my friend, and when we dare to risk our own comfort, we can find ourselves amazingly face to face with the risen Christ. There is a Christian writer I really enjoy and I would recommend to you, he's written a number of books. His name is Philip Yancey. Some of you may know him. One of his books is it's really good about all the stuff that we don't understand, why it happens. And it's titled Disappointment with God. Maybe you can relate to being disappointed with God at some time but there's another book that he wrote called what's so amazing about grace and I want to talk about something that he tells in that book now this is a true story it was written up in the Boston Globe newspaper a while back it was June of 1990 and Philip took it out and used it in his book True story, a woman was planning to get married, June bride and all of that, and so she and her fiancé went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston to schedule their wedding reception and they decided, you know, they were gonna pull out all the stops and this was gonna be a big deal with the sit-down dinner and beautiful flowers and just the whole works. And the bill came to $13,000. And you may think, well, that doesn't sound too bad, but realize this was more than 30 years ago and I got my out my handy-dandy little inflation calculator and found out that $13,000 back then is about $30,000 today, so it was a pretty hefty bill. Anyway, they left a down payment for half of the amount, went away to plan and get ready for the rest of the wedding. Well, right when it was time to send out invitations, the potential groom got nervous. And he said, Ooh, dear, 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 it's too much commitment for me. I've got to think about it a while longer. And he took a hike. Now, needless to say, the bride wasn't too happy. But she went down to the Hyatt to cancel the arrangements. Well, she got down to the Hyatt and she found out that her troubles were not over, they had just begun. Now, the lady in the office was extremely sympathetic and said, oh, honey, you know, I had the very same thing happen to me. But after she said that, well, business was business. And the bad news for the bride was the contract was binding. She was entitled to get back only $1,300. She could forfeit the rest of her rather hefty down payment. Or she could go ahead with the party. Those were the only options. So she decided she'd go ahead with the party. Because you see, ten years earlier, she herself had been in a homeless shelter. She had been the stranger, the ignored one, the forgotten person. but she had managed to get on a different path. She'd kind of come back to life, if you will, and she was now doing quite well. And so she had the party, and she sent invitations to the rescue missions and the homeless shelters of downtown Boston. Now, I understand that she did ask the Hyatt for one change in the menu. I'm not sure what the original entree for the meal was supposed to have been, but she asked that it be changed to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. (laughs) True story, my friends. It's a true story. But on that day, the stranger was invited in. The bag ladies, the vagrants, the addicts, the lonely elderly people who were living on fixed incomes. And it ended up being a wonderful evening, even for the bride who wasn't a bride. And I think, children of God, what would happen if we dared to offer invitations to the strangers among us, the ones that we encounter every day, how would the kingdom of God be made evident in them and in us? Because, you see, God has this very strange and wonderful economy very often, it's the one who is vi- invited as a guest who is the one who brings the blessing. And so all of us are traveling our own roads to Emmaus, if you will, our roads of everyday living. And there's really no question that we are going to encounter strangers on that road. The question is, how are we going to treat them? Are we going to let them walk on? Or are we going to invite them in and show hospitality and pay attention and really listen and give them a meal? When we do that, maybe... Just maybe we will see in them the face of our risen Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Oh Lord, it is so easy to get consumed with our own agendas. Our own problems, our own lives, to hurry past the strangers that you put in our way. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that reach out, and that in the stranger, We would see you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.